Buds fans, and welcome to the Babbling Buds Podcast, hosted by Jordan Jacqueline. 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 Welcome to the eighth episode of the Babbling Buds Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Jordan Jacqueline. A twice a week show covering the Toronto Maple Leafs and the NHL as a whole, bringing in a mix of various analytics and the eye tests when discussing players and the team. I thank you for joining me today, and to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, follow us on Twitter at The Babbling Buds to stay up to date on all news surrounding the show. It's a pleasure to announce today's guest, Peter Baraccini, a Leafs and Prospects contributor for the Hockey Raiders. His Twitter is at P Baraccini, so we know it's actually him. And I just got to ask, man, are you? How? what was your initial reaction to the Jason Spezza signing? Ooh, uh, I, I think I may have to get a Jason Spezza jersey right now. That was my initial reaction. I mean, just him coming back. I mean, I've said it a lot, quite a bit on our Six and the Six podcast with Andrew Forbes. Um, if we could sign Jason Spezza to like, you know, not just one year deals, but like to like a four or five year deal at league minimum seven, 750,000 for those four or five years, I am all for it, but I'm just glad that he's back. I mean, this guy was a superstar. Well, not, not he's past his prime, but you know, it looks like the age isn't, you know, showing at all. So the fact that he was able to finish seventh in team scoring this year, um, put up three really key goals in the playoffs. Um, he still got it. And for him to be on this team, I'm really excited. Yeah. And as Lee's fans always point out on Twitter, he had more points than Josh Anderson. So we always have to bring that up. And it's yep. pretty crazy. <laughs> like he wasn't above replacement level player, according to some of his micro stats. It's very effective on a 5v5. And he was being deployed as a fourth line player. And and he was effective, obviously, when he got stints with, uh, I believe he played a little bit with John Tavares on the second line in pinches. He could join the third line. He just dominates that fourth line competition. It's awesome to see him back. I wouldn't even be, I would love to even see him have an A one day if that's ever somewhat, somehow a possibility. I don't know necessarily if you're going to strip an A from one of the current guys wearing it, but he's really earned it. He just has that team first mentality. I love everything about Jason Spezza being a leaf but as we know the offseason talk really is underway and Elliot Friedman dropped a bomb on Monday morning and this is what he had to say in his tweet a sign the offseason is really revving up as the final four chase the Stanley Cup Carolina has given Dougie Hamilton permission to talk to other NHL teams opens potential for a sign and trade the other thing that this does is it actually allows Hamilton to see if the Hurricanes do make the best offer for him, potentially allowing for a return if he doesn't like what he sees out there. Very interesting maneuver by the team and player. And I just got to ask, Peter, do you see a fit with Hamilton and the Leafs? Um, there's always a fit with, uh, you know, considering that he's a right-handed shot and, you know, the Maple Leafs have been lacking in that department for quite some time. We had TJ Brody play on the right side. He didn't look out of place at all, considering the fact that he's a left-handed shot, but the right-handed shot on the power play, someone that could get the puck on net. I mean, we saw glimpses of what Rasmus Sandin could do with his mobility and his vision, but still the shots on, I mean, uh, he had a really good shot on net in game two, I believe. Uh, on the power play so we know Sandy's got a good shot but just that extra you know added bonus on the right hand side Dougie Hamilton can get the puck on edge as good as anybody in the league right now and you know quite a bit of criticism with Morgan Riley and his you know electing to pass when he should shoot and shooting when he's electing the passing that came into effect but I mean 
I would I, I think having Dougie Hamilton on the team would be great. It's just there is still some concerns about, you know, his defensive play, although it did seem a little bit better with Carolina compared to where he was with um, the Calgary Flames. Um, if, if they were able to go after him, great, but there's going to be a lot of number crunching based on what can happen, just like they did at the trade deadline to bring in Nick Felino and then put Frederick Anderson on LTIR. And that's just another headache in itself. And I had trouble figuring out the Nick Felino deal itself. So if they were able to get it done with Dougie Hamilton, great, but there's still going to be a lot of like, you know, underlying pieces and underlying movement that needs to be done with the cap. Yeah, I actually had Jay Fresh Hockey on last episode and we dove into this topic. And even he, as a noted Dougie Hamilton fan, even said he would be hesitant to give a six or seven year contract at seven to eight million per for Dougie Hamilton. As you were with Morgan Riley, that's what the Leafs current situation is like. And even if you do somehow con- convince Hamilton to come, I don't necessarily know how that's going to happen. And uh, Morgan Riley's probably being traded, right? Like at that point, because you're going to have to make the salary cap work. I guess at that point, you're moving TJ Brody to the left side. And what I heard from Calgary Flames fans is he actually was notably worse on the left side than he was on the right side, which is interesting, obviously, considering his handedness. He was in the 95th percentile in terms of his even strength defense this year. One of the micro stats for uh, wins above replacement. He was literally one of the best in the league. And we saw it just in the way he broke up those two on ones. His, his defensive stick positioning is just out of this world. And uh, you don't necessarily want to get, take away from his strength. And uh, although Dougie Hamilton, I guess, would be kind of like a premium ad, you could get that number one defenseman and maybe it could provide some more stability than Morgan Riley. There's definitely other glaring needs this team needs. And although it would be a nice fit there, if potential, I just don't know if it's necessarily going to work out. And huge news dropping today. I hope this works out. It sounds like Zach Hyman has played his final game as a Leaf. James Myrtle dropped an article for The Athletic this morning, and he indicated that multiple sources told him, and they said they didn't believe any talks of substance had happened. Other teams and agents believe Hyman can now command close to $6 million a season. That would certainly be too expensive for the Leafs. I'm going to break this down into two questions for you here. Where do you see Hyman ending up if he does end up leaving Toronto? Uh, I I kind of hate this. I kind of hate this prediction thing. I kind of like Bob McKenzie because it's really tough to map everything out. But I mean, if you're looking, I, I would look to Seattle to try and bring him on to try and fill out that roster. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know if, I mean, they're still going to be a relatively young team or just up and coming. They could fill out some cap space. They're looking to command six million, but I'd be wary of giving Zach Hyman six million as much as I love him and as much as I love his play. I would not go over five million. I have said multiple times that maybe four, four point five is the range I would go. Even if you are looking for a long term year, it's still a movable cap hit if you decide to move him into fifth or sixth year. If you do go that route, um, but yeah, given his age right now and given the past two or two years or so he's had you know injuries with his knee um mcls i know we required surgery on one and he sprained the same knee this year against the vancouver canucks so there's that lingering issue um is the risk worth it i don't know i don't think so and someone like zach hyman i mean you can either find another replacement in free agency at a cheaper hit or you could, you know, bring somebody up in through the system. I'm not saying that Rodin Amirov is going to be you know, on the Leafs roster anytime soon, but he started skating, practicing here in Toronto, getting some shots off. I think Philip Hollander could be a really solid, you know, 
middle six third liner option. I know he had a really great season overseas. A um, lot, lot of, lot of what ifs, a lot of different scenarios that could play out. But yeah, um, aside from Seattle, I'm, I, I would like to see maybe him try and maximize his potential on maybe another contender. Um, I, but and again, given where the cap is, where the NHL is at right now, it's going to be tough to try and get that team unless it's a team that's like just trying to get to the cap, uh, cap margin. No, I agree with you there. And I've heard a lot of rumors that the Edmonton Oilers, you know, who notably have 22 million coming off the books this offseason, could be a team interested in signing him. We already know what happened when they signed Milan Lucic, though. And I'm obviously yeah. not trying to directly compare the two players, but Hyman plays that type of game that, you know, obviously we've seen injuries. Like even Nick Felino kind of plays somewhat of a similar style per se. And he had that back issue that, you know, he didn't look, he looked like a shelf of his former self. And, uh, I would be really giving a long-term deal at that type of money for Hyman. Although I would love to see what he's like playing next to Connor McDavid, even just for one season, if it could put, maximize his skill set there. Cause I think he would be awesome. Definitely. And a guy, a guy I would love to see the Leafs go after to say, if they do have to get rid of Hyman is Blake Coleman. And I'm sure you've been seeing this a lot, obviously. I, I, I did see a report today that apparently the Dallas stars would look most likely be his destination it's kind of interesting that that's coming out considering he's still playing hockey games at the moment but they believe that a hometown <laughs> reunion in dallas would be possible i hope the leafs could get that guy though because he's very effective obviously tampa paid a first for him last year i'm sure everybody's heard that enough he was just such a great player you can play him everywhere he would be a cheaper version of hyman and although he wouldn't be necessarily as effective I think for what he provides, he he could still potentially play in a top six role, although maybe a third line role is better for that player. But there's lots of options there. But let's just bring it back to Hyman because I think he deserves it, Danielle. He was a part of that next iteration of Leafs in the Matthews, Nylander, Marner era. And, uh, you know, getting traded for Greg McCaig, look at where how far he's come. Improved every season, become pretty much a potential perennial now 20, the third, he was going at it like almost a 30 goal pace uh, two seasons ago. Yeah. He's, he's become such an effective player. I love everything about him. Like, I don't think there's a single least fan that doesn't like him. Uh, he, he, you know, he proved all the doubters wrong after that first year after he scored 28 points and uh, everybody was saying he shouldn't be playing with Matthews. He proved why he should. I just want to know, Peter, what is your favorite memory of Zach Hyman as a leaf? Um, I want to say my favorite memory is I would say this year was probably my favorite memory of Zach Hyman. Um, I know it's probably, you know, it's hard to pinpoint what's so, what's so great about him because, you know, he's not that elite level player. He doesn't buy you off your seat, but he does everything so well. And I think just from the time that he entered the league to the time now, especially this year, you saw how great his work ethic is. And I can't pinpoint in any specific moment because every single game, he just did everything so well. And you win games with a Zach Hyman type of player. I mean, that's what that's what Tampa Bay got last year. I mean, they were so heavy on offense. They went out and got uh, Blake Coleman. They got Barkley Goudreau. They tried to fill up that depth. And Toronto had that player with Hyman, and it, they just couldn't quite get past this first round. I, I'm not going to dwell too much into that. But the fact that, you know, he's been consistent at what he does perfectly – um, you know, always trying, always getting to that 40 point mark. He would have been on pace to match a career high this year, if I believe looking at hockey reference and the adjusted numbers quite a bit. Um, he would have surpassed his previous season totals and he was already on a tear before, you know, he went down with that injury again. But even just his mentality, his smile, it's just so energetic and always so positive. You know, you hate to see a player like that go given 
the fact that maybe you wanted to try and get him at, at a reasonable hit, but if he wants to maximize his potential, you can't be upset about that because he's looking out for his best interests as well. Yeah, I mean, our star players uh, earned as much as they could. Why shouldn't Zach Hyman, am I right? Like, mm -hmm. And it's just been amazing. I agree with you. There's not too many like insanely like mem memories that stand out of Zach Hyman because with a player like his very cap, and then I already have three in my mind, like his, you know, game seven overtime. So I guess our game yeah. seven uh, goal that made it 4-3 Leafs in that 2018 or the, the tying goal that's, you know, in that game that the Leafs clinched the playoffs back in 2017 with Hyman, you know, he just does everything right in that. That's the consistency he brings, and he's done in these past few years. He's definitely going to be past his prime now, so it's going to be tough here. It's a tough scenario, and I'm sure the Leafs aren't uh, they're treading this conversation for sure. Definitely, yes. and I just want to throw out maybe one moment. Last year in the bubble where he tied that game up, where oh, yeah. they went to overtime against the Blue Jackets to win 4-3 and force the game five. I, I think that's probably the best moment or highlight of his career at this point. Yeah, definitely. I would have to agree with you there. I just want to know, Peter, who do you believe the Leafs are going to be looking to acquire for the third line center position? Now, this is obviously assuming Alex Kerfoot gets claimed by the Seattle um, in the Seattle expansion draft. That seems to be kind of the consensus at this point, unless they go seven forwards, three defensemen, and then maybe Justin Hall goes. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. So let's just say Kerfoot in some sort of fashion is gone. There's names such as Derek Ryan, Frederick Goudreau was a name I brought up with Jay Fresh in the last episode. Is there anyone in your mind that you kind of uh, think could be the least third line center? Or do you think someone like Adam Brooks, Semyonov could maybe take that position? Um, I, I would, I would hope that based on his play this year, I think Kyle Dubas would do everything in his power to try and keep Alex Kerfoot. Um, I mean, just the way that he brought another energy and level in the postseason, you know, especially when John Tavares went down, he stepped up big time in that second line set of role. So assuming that, you know, Matthews and Tavares are going to be one, two, if you try to keep Alex Kerfoot and maybe try and sway um, the Golden Knights to try and take maybe a Justin Hall, maybe, um, you know, Travis Dermott, because that left side is starting to get pretty full, especially with Master Sandine coming in the pipeline. Timothy Lilligren is probably deserving of a shot at the right-hand side at some point. Do they bring back Zach Bogosian? A lot of what-ifs. Um, I, I, most of my free agent targets are not centers. I know I have three. Coleman is one of them. Andrew Cogliano is, the, is another. But the biggest one that I think that would probably good, be a good replacement over Zach Hyman would probably be Brandon Saad of the Colorado Avalanche. He's coming off a one-year $5 million deal, scores seven goals in the playoffs despite an early exit, can have that two-way mentality, great speed, can drive to the net, score from anywhere on the ice. Um, I know Zach Hyman, his bread and butter was in front of the net getting those greasy goals, but Brandon Saad has a shot into his arsenal, so that could help them out in that regard. Um, yeah, centerman, I, I would think they would try to keep Kerfoot. If anything, Adam Brooksville, I think he's deserving of that third spot no matter what. Even if they try to do to, uh, Matthew Tavares, Spezza, and Brooks on that fourth line, I know he excelled in that position really well. So if you have that as a center depth, if you take away Kerfoot, I think you would try, maybe try to go internal as opposed to looking out. And when you could have, and just my opinion, I think there are better options or more options on wing than there are at center. I think you would probably have to make a trade to acquire some center help in a depth role this year. 
Yeah, I agree with you. There, there honestly aren't many options out there that really I would like better than Alex Kerfoot. And Kerfoot took a lot of flack in the regular season. He was the guy most people were putting up in their the Taylor Hall trade predictions. I honestly did too. And I, I was surprised by his level of uh, play in the playoffs because he looked like a completely different player. It looked like kind of the player he was touted as with the Colorado Avalanche. And it was kind of great to see there. And an underrated storyline I feel like people aren't talking about is the fact that the Leafs, I mean, I feel like the Leafs honestly might end up trading a pick just to keep one of these guys. Like I could definitely see them trading a second round pick just so they could keep Alex Kerfoot. And maybe that's how Travis Dermott ends up in Seattle. And they do have to sign him too, by the way, because they have to sign one of Hudson, uh, Bogosian, or Dermott just to be able to protect four defensemen. So that's another thing. I'm sure they're going to be able to make that work. I'm hoping it's Bogosian because then next season you could have a Bogosian, Lilligren, platoon uh, situation going on there. Maybe Lilligren steals the job at some point because you got to hope that happens sometime soon. But a lot of options here for the Toronto Maple Leafs and. Uh, and you That's mentioned the narrative about Kerfoot. I was yeah. I was pretty hard on him early on in the season. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, just mistakes, simple ones that he probably could have made, just decisions. And you know what? He picked it up throughout the season. And he, I mean, same with Jimmy VC. I think those were two that were very somewhat disappointing. I know Jimmy VC didn't quite have a, good, a better chance at succeeding as Kerfoot, but I, I was wrong about Kerfoot and I was pretty critical of him at the beginning. And, you know, he, he turned a good, tor- good uh, bleh, turned a good corner for the Maple Leafs tongue twister there. But yeah. I, I, and again, we saw it in the playoffs too, just how valuable he can be when he's on top of his game. Well, if you're to look at uh, Kerfoot's mic- micro stats this season, they weren't exactly that great, especially defensively. And that's what he was known as coming from Colorado as being such an effective defensive player. And that actually has declined as a Leaf now. I know it might not necessarily always be that obvious watching him play. I mean, he was really great on the penalty kill. I don't really think there's any denying that, just how aggressive he was. And uh, he definitely stepped it up in the playoffs. You just have to wonder if he can do that over the long term. Because he is making $3.5 bucks. And if you're paying $3.5 for your third-line center, you got to hope they're one of the better third line centers in the league at this point, at least if you're going to be paying, you know, your four guys that much money, you have to maximize the value of these assets that you're signing. So a lot of uh, yeah. situations going on for the Leafs. I'm just curious. This is the last of the Leafs topic we have for now. What should the Leafs do about their backup goaltending situation? You know, obviously we all, we already know Kyle said it in the end of season presser, Jack Campbell is coming back. I mean, I've people, there are people that believe Freddie could sign like a, a, a three and a half million dollar deal. I really don't see that happening. I'd be shocked because these are NHL GMs we're talking about. Someone's going to pay him based off his reputation. They, they got, they acquired Dave Riddich, you know, big save Dave barely got a shot. Didn't look that great, but maybe that lowers his cost and you kind of just take the risk there. They have a Vevi Vevelinen, sorry. And they have like Joseph wall coming up. They have so many options. What do they do, Peter? Yeah, I've been trying to wrap my head around the goaltending situation, and it really is difficult. Um, you know, you mentioned Frederick Anderson trying to take a bit of a, you know, you know, a bit of a decrease in pay, and I just don't see that happening, even if it is for a short term. Um, this is a guy who came in as a starter, and he's leaving as a backup. He wants to be a starter in the NHL, and I think there is going to be a team willing to go out and pay for him. Um, I saw a rumor that maybe Pittsburgh could be an option given how, you know, questionable it or how their goaltending failed them in the playoffs this year. Could Anderson help them out? Possibly, but I just don't see Anderson coming on a short-term, low, low amount deal this time around. Um, could they try and stick with uh, Dave Riddick? Uh, 
give him another chance. It's possible. Um, I know that there are some games, especially the Vancouver game, where the Maple Leafs were up and he just just didn't have it. Um, just basically faltered in that. And I think that those are the kind of games that the Maple Leafs want to avoid with the backup position where, you know, Frederick Anderson would be great for two or three games. Jack Campbell would come in, have that solidify, you know, a couple more wins in that backup role. But now that he's a starter, got to fix that again. I mean, uh, Vinny Vevelainen has some pretty good numbers. Um, struggled a bit in North America, but overseas in Finland, I know his numbers were pretty strong. So if you could try and get him some game action, if he comes out on top, great. Um, if you try and acquire somebody, maybe Chris Drieger from the Florida Panthers. He's a, he's a name that, you know, not necessarily the Maple Leafs may have been on, but maybe someone that can, they can look to target, considering the fact that, you know, uh, Ser- Sergei Bobrovsky, I don't think there's any team that would want to touch that contract, even if they have to retain salary. Spencer Knight's coming up at nine, uh, 925000 over three years. You th- expect him to be the starter based on how well he played. And Drieger, I know I said trade, but I'm just looking at his contract status right now. He is a free agent. So you could definitely sign him to maybe a one- or two-year deal at maybe one to two million, maybe higher now that the Maple Leafs have some cap space now and they don't have to worry about, you know, Zach Hyman at this point. So that plays into their uh, situation as well. So I'm thinking that maybe he could be a solid option. He had really solid numbers in a backup role, even playing as a starter. So, you know, he's capable. You have Campbell and Drieger as your one, two. I, I would, I, that, that's basically how I would picture it at this point. Well, I think that's how Jack Campbell's going to succeed, you know, and maximize his potential if he has a very competent backup goaltending situation where, you know, maybe you're getting a 50, 45, 35 split there. And I think that would really help, uh, you know, Jack out. And Chris Jeeger is one of the better names you mentioned. Uh, the only way somebody's paying that Sergei Poprowski contract, by the way, like if I'm Seattle, I would I would try to take him just maybe retain half of his contract and say, you're giving me all of your first round picks for the next 10 seasons. Yeah. Definitely. I, like if it's a top prospect or a first round pick to try and sweeten the deal, there's no way that deal is happening. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's just very unlikely. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen any type of trade like that, but hopefully you now we start to see some crazy stuff happening at National Hockey League. We got a very wild off season, I think, ahead of us especially just uh, with the star names that are out there. But we got to head into our general NHL news. We're talking about star players. A former star coach in Gerard Gallant, hired by the New York Rangers on a four-year contract. Per uh, Pierre Lebrun, it sounds like it's in the $3.5 million range. Do we think he's going to be able to coach this young team into a playoff spot next season, Peter? Is this good for the Rangers and the fact that they are a young team? Absolutely. Given his track record, um, despite the fact that the Golden Knights let him go, even though they were still in a really good spot record-wise, I he's one of the top coaches in this league. And to see him go so early, uh, there was going to be one team that was going to cash in on him. And good on the Rangers because what happened this year, it was a bit of a mess, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, uh, a lot of bad coaching decisions, like keeping Alexi Lafreniere onto, onto that third line for most of the season. Um, player like him, you've got to have in your top six. I don't know why it was a big, you know, ordeal, but hey, I'm... And he looked so good too, but down the stretch there, you really got yeah. to see his talent when they put him as uh, Sabana Jab. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and that's somewhere you want to pair him up or put him with the star players maximize his ability because he was a first overall pick 
But I think even with cemented Gerard Gallant to the Rangers, given the fact that the World Hockey Championships, um, give, especially given the fact of the COVID-19 pandemic, not a lot of star players or a lot of players that you would expect to go didn't, and they had to fill some holes. And this team got off to a rough start, but him with Gallant behind the bench, the players that they had, they bought in, they worked hard, and they got the gold medal at the end of it all. So the fact that he was able to have that mentality, rally his team, get them motivated, get them going is something that I think that's going to help the Rangers maybe not make the playoffs next year. I think they got to fill, you know, some gaps or if they're able to, you know, still ice the same roster, but have Gallant make a different game plan, different strategy. Great. If they make the playoffs, I think that'll be best case scenario. But even if they make it in another in a, the following year where maybe they compete and push for one, where they kind of faltered at the tail end and just didn't quite have enough uh, gas to push to the finish line and move up in the standings. But if if, uh, Gallant is there to, you know, get the best out of everybody, especially with Adam Fox on the back end, Artemi Panarin, Zabanajad again, he he started to heat up. Um, I think this team is in a really good spot with him behind the bench. Well, I mean, yeah, you... I'm curious to see if they can make the postseason because they're going into Artemi Panarin's third year on that team. And, you know, he'll have four years left after this next season. You have to think, you know, his best years are going to soon be behind him. You know, this is a player that would have been drafted in 2010, although he wasn't somehow, which is crazy to think about. Ended up in Chicago, then Columbus, now here in New York. And he's he's been an MVP caliber player for them. And obviously Lafreniere is going to be an amazing player. You know, they appear to be in on Jack Eichel, you know, so that's obviously going to be a major, um, you know, part of their plans that they are able to acquire him. You have to wonder what happens there. Capo Caco, too, who had like a, a historically bad rookie season, and not even just from his baseline stats, like analytically, I believe he was literally the, had the worst rookie season, looked a lot better, looked middle of the pack, had really good defensive numbers, especially, even though if you were to look, look at his baseline stats, I believe his point totals were like literally the exact same at 23 points. He did actually noticeably improve, and a lot of nights was actually their best player, but, you know, he still, they still didn't make the postseason, so you probably don't want him being your best player on certain nights. And uh, those guys are going to continue to get better. Adam Fox is a Norris Trophy winner. I mean, he was nominated for it. I mean, yeah, I think he should be. I don't know if he'll actually be nominated there. They got Igor Shosturkin coming up. They have so many young guys there, and I, I can't even get into all of their prospects because that'll have to be a whole episode. But I, I really like that team. It's just crazy because of all the changeover that's happened in that organization. Chris Drury, now the new general manager. You have to wonder, you know, is something wrong in New York? That whole Tom Wilson stuff definitely sparked something in that organization. We're going to see in these next few months if they're heading in a good direction. And uh, the next thing, we actually have some playoff hockey to talk about because the Tampa Bay Lightning took game two by a score of four to two. And their power play was quite dominant. Victor had been looked more like himself. Who do you have taking this series in the semifinals, Peter? I took the Tampa Bay Lightning. but, you know, never count out the New York Islanders, especially with Barry Trotz behind the bench, how they're able to transition quickly from defense to offense and have, you know, especially Matt Barzell, too, um, being a major factor on that team, leading the offense. Um, but it's hard not to pick the reigning Stanley Cup champs, given the fact that, you know, you have a reinvigorated uh, Nikita Kucherov, who missed the whole season because of, you know, the hip surgery that he had. 
and he comes back and it looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Braden Point is on a whole nother level. Steven Samkos is Steven Samkos. Andre Vasilevsky is a brick wall in that. I mean, this is the this is a team that, you know, they build for a championship. And even acquiring acquiring David Savard at the deadline helps solidify that defense. So it's t- I mean, would you love want to see like a I'm not trying to say that the Islanders are the underdog, but they technically are in this case. Um, to see an upset and have the Islanders dethrone, it'll be exciting. I know a lot of fans were saying, oh, everyone is picking, you know, Vegas and Tampa Bay for the cup final. Oh, we're going to get the Islanders and Canadians because, you know, <laughs> why not, right? But at the same time, I mean, the Islanders are still in a really good spot. Um, tied 1-1 heading back into their arena and they're rambunctious a uh, bunch of fans there. So they're going to go off and like have the support that the team needs no matter what. Um, but yeah, just given the depth and how good Tampa Bay has been dominant, especially even on special teams too, we know how great that power play is. That's going to be a major factor. And he, it clicked a few times in game two. So got to look out for that because they can hurt you just like that. Yeah, I mean, what people are not talking enough about is the fact that Steven Stamkos is playing regularly in their lineup this year. They replaced Kevin Shattenkirk with David Savard and they just look so dominant all their better players like Mikhail Zurgachev are a year older Vasilevsky is just on another world it's just crazy that the construction of that team a player I really always love to notice is uh, Anthony Sorelli just his t- tenacious play on the four check made a really nice play there to draw the power play that ultimately led to the Victor Hedman goal I mean I, I he's a player analytics love and I just love watching yeah. him play and uh, I love watching Tampa Bay play and I mean Tampa Vegas would be quite the Stanley Cup final because uh I don't know. You haven't really seen two teams like that duel it out. Like really like two of the three best teams, I would say are probably Tampa and Vegas. I would say Colorado was probably the other one there. Those are the top three teams in the league. And if you can get two of those three teams playing in the cup final, the NHL should be marketing a lot of that. I would have to hope, you know, that seems like a good game plan though. I hope so. I don't know if I don't know if uh, Montreal New York Islanders series is going to be marketed marketable that much. But I guess JJ Watt does love Cole Caulfield, so maybe it is. Yeah. But uh, so you Big never fan. know. I know you're his, eh? <laughs> and we got to get to that because the Vegas Golden Knights are set to play the Montreal Canadiens tonight for Game Two. At the time we are recording this, how does Montreal win Game Two, in your opinion? And is there any hope for them in this series down one nothing? Uh, again, I, I'm they, they thrive in the underdog role and they seem to like, you know, have a good, had a good start in game one where they were peppering Fleury with shots. But then again, Marc-Andre Fleury is, you know, vintage Marc-Andre Fleury right now. So they're going to have to do a whole lot more to try and get him off his game. But the counterattack from the Vegas Golden Knights hurts everybody. And even on the power play, the defense that they have, the, the ability to get pucks through, um, the balance that they have on all four lines where you have one X factor that either, you know, is an offensive weapon, a four checker. Um, it, it, they got, they, again, they, they may not have superstar potential, but they built their team based on the fact that they could turn players into something. And that's what's been thriving them for the past four years. I know three out of the, this is now the three out of the four years that they've been in, they've made the conference final with, and even beforehand, they didn't have any major, major superstar potential. Right now, they have Shea Theodore, who's emerging as a top defenseman. Alex Petrangelo, who won the Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues. Max Pacioretty, who is a noted goal scorer. Mark Stone, who's one of the top two-way players in the league right now. 
they have it all. But for the Montreal Canadiens to try and beat them, it's it's they're gonna have to do more. Especially they're gonna have to get more out of Josh Anderson. Um, only I, I thought I saw only three points on the regular season and not much production in the postseason as well. Like, yeah, he's getting in on the forecheck, being physical, getting his chances, but it's just not working production wise. And yeah, I, I, I think where they fail is, and even in comparison on paper to the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Winnipeg Jets, the scoring depth, I mean, you got Tyler Toffoli and you got Nick Suzuki and you got the emergence of Cole Caulfield. I mean, they were able to beat both of them. But I think right now, maybe they're starting to run out of some gas. I don't know if they're able to pick it up. And I know there's probably going to be some heat from Habsands. I'm already getting it right now because I had Vegas in five. Um, it's just going to be difficult. I mean, they they have so much energy nonstop. And the fact that they were able to shut out Nate McKinnon and Mikko Rantanen for basically four straight games right after they were down 2 nothing, or give them very little opportunities and smother them. Their defense, they collapse and they go on top of and they have perfect coverage every single time so the fact that they were able to do that against two premier all-star players for the Vegas Golden Knights they can handle anybody at this point yeah definitely I mean Adam Wilde even made a bet like that $200 bet that uh, Montreal will not win a game in this series I think he's gonna end up losing that because I'll yeah. be shocked <laughs> I think they could even win tonight just because uh if they can play anything like they did in that first period of game one I mean, they're going to be a tough team to beat. Cole Caulfield, you know, obviously scored his first career Stanley Cup playoff goal. That's huge for the kid. Like, you're going to be seeing a lot of momentum swinging his way now. Not that, I mean, he was playing really great in terms of his playmaking and uh, chances that he was creating in the offensive zone. But, I mean, he's a scoring threat. That's what Cole Caulfield is. And if he can start putting it in the back of the net, but behind, I know Mark Andre Fleury kind of looks unbeatable at the moment, but he is beatable. Carey Price is beatable. Even against the Leafs, he looked beatable. These yeah. goalies can be beaten. I think Montreal could make it a series if they don't want to have any chance of winning. Though I think they got to win this game. Like, yeah. I mean, the Leafs. You know, I know the Leafs blew a three-one series lead, but good teams <laughs> like Vegas usually don't blow three-one series yeah. leads. You got to seem especially by the point when you're at the semifinals. These are the best teams in the league, and. uh yeah, I'm going to call Montreal one of the best teams in the league because, I mean, they, want, they, got, they got there. I think they've earned the rate at the moment. So why not, even though, if, even though they were the 18th best team yeah. in the league? But. And I know Brandon Shanahan alluded to the Maple Leafs lacking killer instinct. The teams like the Vegas Golden Knights, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and even the Colorado Avalanche, despite losing to Vegas, they have a killer instinct, which is why they're always the, the perennial favorites every single time. They have that factor. They have that ability to win. And it, for Toronto, not to bring the Leafs into this, but for them to get on the Vegas Vegas's level, they have to find that. Otherwise, even if Toronto made it on this to this point, I still probably would have had Vegas in five. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know. It would have been interesting because when you look at all of the, you know, like let's just look at Matthews. He had five goals in seven games, I believe, back in that 2019 series versus Boston. Mitch Marner did put up nine points in seven games in the first Boston series back in 2018. William Nylander obviously looks so dominant, probably the best performance out of any of those guys really in this current five-year window. They haven't been able to do it at the same time, you know? And if you look at a team just like the Tampa Bay Lightning that are playing right now, look at Braden Point. He, he just he just scores and scores and scores. That's, who, what does, that's what Mitch Marner should be able to do. And I mean, that comparison has been made a lot on Leaves Twitter. But it's true. I mean, you're making... He's making like almost four million more, and I know Braden points on a short-term deal, but 
I don't think Braden Point's even going to be making more than Mitch Marner if he signs a long-term deal in Tampa because, you know, obviously all of the tax implications there. Tampa yeah. just is able to sign. They have an advantage there. And even though Marner is signed to a contract above market value, you know, that comes with it. And uh, I feel bad. You know, I don't want to be too, you know, heavily critical, but at a certain point, you have to get the job done. And uh, like, it's kind of unacceptable at this point, like a five-year window. I know a teams like the Washington Capitals were able to make it through and uh, <laughs> after a certain point. And I honestly don't even know if, like, imagine if, if Ovi was a Leaf for 14 years and didn't get past the second round. Do you think, do you think he would still have been a Leaf? You know, like, do you think these guys could be Toronto Maple Leafs if they were to go on that type of run, not getting out of the first round? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't have an answer for that one. Maybe Ovi probably would have, t- I mean, he toughed it out in uh, Washington, given, given the fact that, you know, they still had hope and someone like Ovi just doesn't quit. Um, we saw that time and time again, even when people were saying, Oh, is he, is his goal street goal scoring, you know, declining um, playing a factor. Um, no, he just rounded out his game. He was becoming more of a factor at both ends of the ice. Um he wasn't just fully focused on, um, you know, just trying to get the puck in the net and score and like have those fancy sellies. He was buying into a team mentality right now. And it's up to Toronto to do that. And you saw Mitch Marner at the end of their um, season meetings. And even after the end of game seven, he was dejected out of all the players there. He was the one that was probably the most hard on himself and every, and everybody saw that. And it's up to Mitch do his best to try and block out the noise. I know he says he doesn't pay attention to the comments on social media and everything like that, but it's kind of hard when, you know, you're getting that much negativity and your feed is blowing up. I know he, he said he deleted it, but it's up to him to try and figure it out, block out the noise and come back even stronger because Mitch Marner is a fantastic player. I mean, there, I mean, during the season, people were saying with all the moves and all the goals, the goals that he was scoring, because he did improve his shot, the plays that he was setting up, People were saying, I don't want to, I don't want to hear uh, the complaints about, you know, Mitch Marner making 10.8 million. Mitch Marner deserves 10.8 million. Now, all of a sudden he goes cold and now they're saying he doesn't deserve 10.8 million. So this, again, Toronto's, Toronto, Toronto fans are what they are, you know, great when it's going well, not so great when it isn't. But at the same time, I still do hope that Mitch Marner finds a way around this because he needs to find that extra level. And I know the fact that Matthews probably went cold, but 2.9 shooting percentage is not Austin Matthews. And he had 37 shots on net. So he was trying to do his part, but Mitch Marner with the turnovers, um, he just, he just looked scared at the physicality of Montreal. And I think he needs to power through that because there were times, even when I saw him with the London Knights where he would go up against the bigger opponents and come out on top. So for him to get back to that, he, he needs to dial in, refocus and just come back stronger and better than ever next season yeah i hope so i i really hope he can because you know i think a conclusion i just recently come to is i mean when the big three and matthews marner and Nylander came up and the excitement around the team was buzzing it really you know we were obviously coming off like a decade of of nothing you know oh, yeah. Sandin leaving the leafs it was the worst era of leafs history i mean to see what's mm-hmm. happening now well probably not even the worst i think the 80s might top it but uh oh god yeah <laughs> but uh there was something special with this group. And I think a lot of people thought like they really thought some type of dynasty was in the making here. Like they thought if these players could put it together, you know, we could be looking at a, a group here that could win three Stanley cups, you know, and as we've seen in the salary cap era, that's this, I just don't know how, if you can really do that. 
anymore. Like, I mean, the Tampa looks set to potentially do it here, but I mean, Pittsburgh was able to win back to back and now they're out in the first round. It's, I don't think even in the salary cap era, you can really build a dynasty anymore at this rate. And maybe it's just a flat cap. Maybe eventually some changes will be made and 10 years from now we'll be laughing about this, but uh, well, I think we're going to be lucky to even see the Leafs win one Stanley Cup sadly at one point. And uh, I hope it's going to be really sweet because I do think that day is eventually coming, whether it's with this group of players, it remains to be seen. But the team, you know, that was kind of in a similar situation with the Leafs, even though they're a lot more uh, happier moments in their season. The Florida Panthers, they were bounced in the first round playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't know how many people really thought they were going to win, but what are they going to do this offseason? Because obviously most of their players probably outperformed, uh, you know, what they were relatively expected. Like Sam Bennett was a point per game player. And uh, they're reportedly interested in Patrick Laine, according to George Richards. And uh, I'm just curious, would you love to see the Finnish connection and Barkov and Laine, you know, unite there, especially with Anton Lundell set to play his rookie season? Do you, could you see Laine to Florida happening? I don't. I'm, and I'm usually, usually there are good fits, um, given the fact that, you know, not to say that Patrick Laine is a risk, but there are ups and downs in his game, especially the last few years. And, um, given the fact that, you know, you do have Anton Lindell coming up and I honestly think bringing in Patrick Laine is not necessarily going to hamper his development, but to have Anton Lindell in a third line role behind Patrick Laine on the wing, I just don't see it. Even though he has a right hand shot, um, he's going to be, he's going to be a key factor for them going forward. And I think if at some point they do move on from, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky's contract, um, they do bring in line a, I don't understand. I don't know if they're going to be able to afford Spencer Knight and Lundell, given the fact that, you know, they could, I mean, you know, again, Florida and their tax situation is going to work out very well in their favor, but Huberto 5.9, he's going to be up in two more years. Barkov 5.9. You already have Patrick Hornfist at 5.3. So you have some big, not big, but you have some pretty, you know, average contracts right there. But to bring in Patrick Line and then you have to worry about Anton Lindell. He's gonna be he's gonna be your scoring threat. And I honestly think that it just doesn't make sense to be repetitive in that regard. Definitely. And you know, we already know their first line in Florida is set probably with Bennett, you know, Huberdo, Barkov. You'd be putting them in the second line. I know in Columbus they had a lot of uh, tough assignments there, just like you know, playing on the fourth line, being healthy scratch. This upcoming season's huge for him to really prove all of the doubt is wrong because obviously at some point, some of the onus has to be on you, right? Like this is a play that most people thought was going to be a perennial 50 goal score, especially after his four, multiple 40 goal seasons there. And uh, he's just really regressed to the mean since then. He, I mean, his last season in Winnipeg where he put up 63 points in 68 games, he started to kind of look like a two-way power forward force. But in Columbus, he hasn't really looked like that at all. And, uh, and, and splashes, he's looked not too bad, but I just want to know, like, where did the Columbus Blue Jackets go from here if they really do have to trade line it? Because they, you know, obviously had to trade Pierre-Luc Dubois for him, who didn't even want to be there. They no longer have Panarin, Bobrovsky, and Duchesne. Two of those guys you're probably glad you don't have anymore, but Panarin obviously stings a bit. I mean... At least Rick Nash is coming back in a player development role for the team. You yeah. know, obviously the centerpiece of that franchise. But is Columbus ever going to get to the point where you're like, you know, an actual contender and they can get guys that actually want to be there? It's going to take some time, I think. Um, our, 
you also have to look into the fact that maybe Seth Jones is probably on his way out as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of talk with him as well. And he's, I mean, I, I, given the fact that a lot of people said that he is overrated, that may be, but early on in his career, he was a very strong two-way force and was a major factor in those uh, playoff runs for, you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, yeah, I, I, this is something I really don't have an answer for because you look at their prospect pipeline, you have Liam Foody, who's, you know, who's looked really good. I don't know if he's going to be like a major X factor or difference maker for them going forward, but the defense, they have Samuel Nasco on defense, but then again, very bare in terms of, you know, their prospects coming up in the pipeline. So they got some work to do right now. I mean, you still have Zach Orensky, who's should be healthy come uh, next season. Um Vladislav Gavrikov looked really good. Yeah, I've also Gabriel Carlson, but you got to up too in the KHL, right? I mean, that's a guy people didn't even yeah. know about when he was drafted last offseason. And I believe he just won like KHL Rookie of the Year, yeah. whatever that award's called. And uh, he's proved a lot of the doubt is wrong because like Sportsnet and NBC, I believe, didn't even have like a photo of him the day he was yeah. drafted. People were like, who is this guy? And uh, I mean, that's just what Yarmo Kekalan is known to do. He'll, he'll take those risks. And honestly, 90% of the time, he's usually right. So I would yeah. trust him. And Andrew Forbes wrote the profile for Chenikov and hit and the page views for that shot right up. And they even, I think, used an excerpt from his profile on TV. So, you know, he was one step ahead of the whole entire, you know, NHL network and major media outlets. But yeah, um, even all, looking at like Oliver Bjorkstrand too, I thought he had a really great season. So there's what there's one of many bright sides for them at this point. Um, if they could just try and like focus on this year's draft because they got three first round picks um maybe not the draft that maybe you would expect to try and get some great talent because it is going to be an off year there is going to be some highs and lows players going to be going higher than expected but if they can make the most and maximize those three picks where maybe they get an extra defenseman they get an extra forward it's going to look pretty good for them because i know they've got you know they got some work ahead of them and even even so i think even uh, the attitude of John Tortorella throughout the whole entire year I think that also played a factor where there was you know reports that maybe he was just trying to play his way out and then maybe they just said enough is enough they're not going to renew his contract and then they brought in Brad Larson so hopefully maybe a change of scenery behind the bench hopefully um, rejuvenates the whole entire team right now as well. Well, I know a lot of Columbus fans don't like the hiring of Brad Larson. You know, they were obviously not the biggest fan of him as an assistant coach. To give you some hope, though, DJ Smith, you know, as the least assistant coach, was very um, scrutinized by the end there, has gone to Ottawa, and has looked very great as a head coach. So, obviously, a change of scenery and just, uh, you know, a different job, quite frankly, can yeah. do wonders. And uh, you never know, and you got to hope something goes well there. And I, I really I want to see Patrick Laine stay there because I – I just like it was quite obvious when when he was traded there that the, were, there were going to be issues with Tortorella, mm-hmm. and uh, you know obviously the <laughs> that's that's an understatement at this point you know, but it sounds like Line really does like Larson. They have a decent relationship. You know after that initial, I believe uh, so there was quite an altercation in the beginning there, but Line has been able to. I think he's going to stay there. You know I I want to see a world where they can keep a star like that because uh, I don't know. It would, he hates it would be cool to see a star player. And I'm curious what Max Domi is going to be like there because towards the end of the season, he was their first line center and actually started to produce, I saw. So if you put him in a position to succeed, is he a 70-point player he was in Montreal or is he just, you know, 
a perennial 40 point guy like he is even if that because he wasn't even on pace for that this past season but so many questions in columbus so many questions in the entire league that's why we're getting into our three nhl predictions peter i'm going to hand you a few true or false questions so so these are actually a few statements i should say i wouldn't really call them questions but we're going to start off with this one you're obviously a prospects guru you love it we love your rankings for the hockey writers this is what i'm going with for the Buffalo Sabres, someone other than Owen Power is selected first overall. True or false? Which one are you taking? I want to say, yeah, I've go, I've been going back and forth with this. Given the fact that Owen Power is, you know, the projected number one, they could draft him. But I'm going to say true if they're able to move Jack Eichel. But even so... I, I may change my answer to false because it's hard to pass up on Owen Power and the potential that he could have at the NHL level. Um, Buffalo, again, if they move on from Michael, they're going to need another centerman. So it's true only if they have other players going to be Mappineers. Definitely. And it sounds like with all these players in the top of the rankings, none of them should be playing. You know, I think we're going to see Power go back to Michigan. That report came back as well. Same with Matt Berniers. These players, I mean especially in an organization that's uh, quite as dysfunctional as Buffalo at the moment. I know Powers probably could play, but is it the best for his development? Probably not. And that's okay, you know, just let him develop. And the second series of uh, true or false questions I have for you, we're going back to the Leafs. And this is what I have. Toronto will finish either first or second in the Atlantic division next year. Assuming everything returns to normal, are you picking true or false? Do you think they finish in one of the top two spots? I'm going to say false, um, wow. given the fact that if we are going back to the original division and the original alignments, I, it's still going to be Tampa Bay number one. Boston is going to be number two, and we saw you really how think difficult- so, eh? Like They could be losing David Krejci this offseason. I think this is going to be a passing of the torch. I, I, see I, why I, could, be, I could be wrong, uh, given the fact that, like, like you mentioned, Krejci is uh, a free agent. He well, They're probably the re-signing Hall. And he yeah. was amazing there. So mm-hmm. who knows? Taylor Hall as well. Even Tuka Rass. I know he's a free agent. I know he probably would love to stay in Boston as well. He said that he doesn't want to play anywhere else other than Boston. Um, but it is also, again, I'm probably going to go back on my answer. I'm already going back on my answer right now. Maybe true, given the fact that he isn't going to play until January or February. So, but again, that, that's a really good question. Man, how did you come up with this? I don't know, it just um, came right to my head. <laughs> um, I'm still going to say false, given the fact that Boston is still going to have that perfection line. They're still going to be tough to play against. Charlie McAvoy looked like a real beast on the back end. Could have been up for the Norris Trophy this year as well. Um, even if they don't, or even if Rask is going to be gone, I know Swayman looked pretty good, so they got some stability in that. Same with Halak. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to say false on that one. Say if you so let's just say Hyman leaves and maybe a guy like Blake Coleman you insert them in. I assume Joe Thornton's gone. I I'm I'm gonna assume Nick Robertson's a full time leap next season, so you're adding some mm-hmm. skill in there. I would like to see. I I just have a feeling Wayne Simmons will stick around. I know there's some, you know, people might believe it. I think there's a different feeling when Simmons was on the team this past season. That's just my viewing of it. I know I don't think he should be higher than a fourth line position because he's not necessarily that effective anymore. Even though in the Absolutely. playoffs, if you look at his underlying stats in the playoffs, they were actually pretty good. So mm-hmm. I'll just point that out there. He's a playoff performer in my eyes. But 
I, I just think if you were to substitute, you know, some of the negative parts on your roster and you're only making minor changes, like probably Travis Dermott's not coming back, but then you got Sandine who's only going to get better. Hopefully Lily Green comes in. He's only going to get better. I know you're probably not, you're not going to get the exact same goal tending Jack Campbell provided, but if he could at least be 80% of what he was this past season, that's going to take you very far. And I think like this was a really good team. You know, like this is the difference between the other past Leafs teams we're discussing about is they were a good team. Their defense is set. Mm-hmm. It's on the stars. And we know they're going to come up in the regular season. Austin Matthews just won a Morris Richard trophy. You know, like he can be the second best player in the NHL when he wants to. And uh, arguably, I would say he was this past season. Mitch Marner, yeah. you know, kind of proved all the doubters wrong in the regular season, became a scoring threat. He has to do that in the playoffs, but you have to hope he continues to work on that and he can do it. William Nylander, you know, was silent in the first half of his season, looked really good the second half, dominant in the playoffs. I wonder if we see a different player there. John Tavares, I am a little bit more concerned about. I wonder if he's going to be able to provide the exact same production that he did. You know, I wonder if we're going to start to see the regression of him. That's such fascinating questions there. There's obviously some questions and we're going to get some answers. We don't know everything yet. That's what the offseason is for. We got a lot of parts to fill. Because I said false, the Maple Leafs are going to finish in the top two. You think so? Okay. Well, I'll <laughs> say true. I say they finished second. I would be shocked if they finished first. Yeah. Shocked. If they beat Tampa? I mean, God. Ooh, I know, I know anything can happen. The last time they beat Tampa, by the way, was in the 2016-17 season. Yeah. Remember, remember when Tampa missed the playoffs? Mm-hmm. That was pretty shocked. And I believe that was because, yeah, Stamco's only played 17 games, I remember. Actually, yeah. I have a very specific memory for stuff like that. I remember he had 20 <laughs> points in 17 games. I think he had nine goals. Didn't look, and then uh, got had that huge injury and that crushed them. And the difference between that team, as we saw, and what they are now is they can now play without him. They've played without Nikita Kucherov. So that's something the Leafs need to learn. They need to learn how to play without one of these guys injured because someone will get injured next playoffs. We already yeah. know this. Something's going to happen. You have to learn how to play through that and develop those killer instincts. Gosh, so much going on here. Eh? The Leafs are just, <laughs> you could talk forever about every situation regarding the Leafs. Absolutely. Now, and you just I mean, mentioned the fact that, you know, playing without the Stars, they were able to do it for three straight games without Tavares. I, they I were. Just don't understand. They were on the cusp. So, yeah, they can do it. It's just getting over that little hurdle that, you know, maybe the past is, always comes back to haunt them, but they got to bury that. They just got to keep going forward. It's interesting how we really aren't talking about Alex Galchenyuk at all because, like, if he doesn't come back to Toronto, his NHL career is likely over after next season. I'm going to point that out there. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. Last yeah. year, if he's not a Leaf next season, it will be his last year in the NHL. That's what I'm just calling that right now because he won't be provided the same opportunity. And it's, then uh, That's a very fair prediction because, you know, especially the season that he had, the strides that he took to try and get back to this point. Um, if there are better options out there over Galchenyuk, I mean, you have to try and, you know, contemplate that and see what's best for the team i mean i would love to see him be brought back you have to wonder if nick robertson will even get a shot to play in that position at some point you know maybe you're platooning him there's gonna be a lot of platooning next season you have to hope just seeing if some of these young guys can really play well there and uh we gotta get into our last true or false here it revolves around the team i cover for the hockey writers the buffalo sabers and uh, obviously this is some trade speculation True or false, the Sabres acquire a top 10 pick for Jack Eichel 
as has been rumored. I know, that's been rumored a lot the past few days. And apparently the Sabres are looking for a second top 10 pick. Are you going true or false on that one? Is an Eichel trade likely going to get them that top 10 pick they might be looking for? I don't know about a top 10 pick, but I think they're going to try and get the best package available for Jack Eichel. I remember seeing before coming on that um, the asking price is a top tier roster player, top prospect, and a first round pick. Um, I saw that the New York Rangers, they're one of the teams on that list. The LA Kings are a team that have, uh, you know, first round picks, especially the LA Kings, they're in the top 10 as well. Um, and given the prospect that they have in their system, I think they're probably the likely target to try and get that top 10 pick. So I'm going to say true if it's the LA Kings. Interesting. Okay. The LA Kings are saying true. I mean, just because it's being rumored a lot, I will say true. It does kind of seem like that is going to happen. I got to agree with you there. The problem is that that would be the most Sabres thing ever to trade, you know, their first line center for a top 10 pick in such a crapshoot draft. You know, if they were doing this next year or 2023, I'd be fully on board. But, you know, this Sabres, this Sabres scouting department barely had anybody employed for the majority of this season. They're finally adding some pieces, but, you know, I don't know how much I trust them. This is an organization that drafted Jack Quinn over the likes of Marco Rossi and Anton Lundell. And obviously a lot of time still has to be told on that. But if you look at specific things like his prospect cards, like those, uh, you know, star probability cards, he looks really bad. He's actually even compared yeah. to Kevin Adams in the latest edition of his, which is kind yeah, of funny. Yeah, I saw that. And, uh, and even someone with the likes of Cole Perfetti too. I mean, yeah. how are, how, how, how I did you, not you, have yeah. Jack Quinn over Cole Perfetti at all. And, you know, I did like his rookie season with the Rochester Americans. I covered him there, but I don't know. I don't know. I know he, he even cracked the opening night roster, but he obviously he didn't play a game this season yet. And rightfully so. I don't think he should be playing NHL games. Yet. It was just a unique <laughs> circumstance of the season. He wasn't even able to play in the AHL. Otherwise, he would be back with the Ottawa 67s. It's just going to be quite fascinating how that situation goes. Marco Rossi, obviously, kudos to him for finally being able to skate again after what's been such a tough season for him after battling COVID. I'm excited to see how these prospects develop. The potential Jack Eichel trades obviously going to, you know, change everything for this franchise. And then Ristolane and Sam Reinhardt. I just wrote a Sam Reinhardt piece, actually. I had the Sabres should build around this player. He's a guy that I want to see stay a Buffalo Sabre because at some point you have to keep a few guys. You can't trade everybody because what, what, what are you showing Owen Power if you are trading away a guy like Jack Eichel, a guy that should never be traded? You should never be trading Jack Eichel if you're in an NHL team. You failed. I'm just going to put that out there. You failed as an organization. And uh, that's what the Sabres are used to doing. So that's all. Yeah. <laughs> that's all all-star gonna... <laughs> players like Eichel, like McDavid, like Matthews, you want to hang on to them till the end of their careers and they retire with that, with, with just one team that they played for. The fact that Eichel is possibly getting moved right now, that's, it, it's difficult because the fan base deserves so much more. And I'll say that about the Leafs, too. If Austin Matthews signs in Arizona when he's up for UFA, they failed. They have yeah. failed as an organization, especially if they've won nothing with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I'd be shocked, very shocked if that actually happened. <laughs> Arizona would have to look really good these next few years for him to even contemplate that at this point, I think. Definitely. Because I think he does really like being a Leaf. We saw him with Justin Bieber, you know, obviously, at the little um, fight event, which was uh, kind of funny to see. And uh, he's... I, I really love him as a Leaf. I think he does really love being a Leaf as well. He wants to win here. All these players want to win here. It's just a grind. It's just a battle. And it's just those few bounces away. They were so close. Two straight overtimes. I just can't, I can't believe it, man. 
And uh, you have to hope at some point they persevere because if guys like Jesperi Kotkaniemi, Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, you know, Cole Caulfield was literally playing in college, you know, this past season. And he's been able to jump right in and be an immediate impact player. He has killer instincts. Yeah. How, how does Austin Matthews not have killer instincts? How does Mitch Moyer not have killer instincts, but Cole Caulfield who's 20 games into his career does, you know, that, put, that should put it into perspective right there. I think Matthews does have the killer instincts. He I mean, does. He's when he really is on, yeah. he does. Because he had no. five goals in seven games. He can score. I mean, he scored mm-hmm. an overtime winner. For Surprisingly, sure. yeah, it wasn't Kasperi Kapanen. It was Austin Matthews that scored yeah. an overtime winner last year in the playoffs. And the thing and the thing is, again, uh, he had the 37 shots, but it was just Carey Price seemed to have him figured out. And we saw how, how much, our, our, I believe it was like one power play goal during the regular season. Matthews just, you know, made Price look stupid on that one-timer feed from Mitch Marner. So... It, yeah, it's difficult. He's got it. He's just got to find that extra gear himself too. Um, given the fact that, you know, he is supposed to be the top goal scorer, only one goal. And he was even off a rebound off prices pad from a Justin Hall shot and in. So he's just got to, I mean, you hate to say that he needs to do more, but he's got to start bearing those chances given the fact that he is a rock of a shard winner. And just before we end up here, just cause it's kind of fresh in my mind, what do you think the least should do about their assistant coach situation? Cause obviously the power play, was a mess, but it's kind of been a mess for a few years now. Like Paul McFarland was around last year. And although it kind of looks, they kind of produce very similar results in terms of like the power play looked great early on in the season. Malholtra's power play, I would say, looked better for over the longer term and then just completely downfall. No adjustments were made. I, I'm kind of wondering if Sheldon Keith might be kind of more of an X factor in this decision making, maybe more than we think, because obviously he's kind of the, you know, is the anomaly he's been around, you know, for those two power plays that have kind of just struggled. And, you know, when you have $40 million of your cap tied up into these four players, by the way, should consistently be playing on the first power play. You know, they should never, there should never be a situation where Nylander, Marner, Matthews, and Tavares are not playing together unless somebody's injured. They should all be playing on that first power play unit and it should work, whether you have Sandine or Riley there. I'm just curious. What do you what do you think? Like, do you think the Leafs do need to change their assistant coach situation, or do you think the problem is internally and they have to figure it out? Yeah. Um, well, I do agree. The top players have got to be out no matter what. I mean, you look at Tampa, you look at Vegas, you look at Colorado. They all have their top players out no matter what the situation is on the power play to get that extra goal. Um, yeah, a lot of people were saying that, and even a lot of fans are like disgruntled about the fact that Manny Maholtro is running the power play. And given the fact that, you know, he was a defensive specialist, face-off kind of guy, I think you have him still in an assistant coaching role, but you got to find somebody that knows the X's and O's and the setups and the plays because it it just wasn't working. And even last year, we saw the drop passing. I hate the drop passing. How is their go-to move every single time? I hate it, man. And That's the first thing they should change. They have to figure out multiple ways to enter the zone. I mean, it works every now and then. Like if, if you Well, it's actually, it's like the most effective way. I know it's like the most common way in NHL teams. Yeah. I've heard even people that work in the league say that, but you mm-hmm. have to have multiple options there. You can't 100% always do that or other, the opposition's going to prepare for it. And as we've seen after, you know, a 20, 30 game sample size, they know how to beat you. Yeah. And we saw that last year. I mean, 20, 30 games in, the power play started to cool down. That's what would happen again this year. 20, 30 games started to decline. I know they went seven straight games. I believe it was like 0 for 40 at one point where they did not get a goal. So it's just, it's just a strategy. I know Morgan Riley, he was, his decision-making with the passing and the shooting, I know we talked about off the top of the show. 
um, his decision-making, his weak shots through the net, getting blocked and everything like that. And again, we saw Rafa Sandin excel in that yeah. role with his movement and how he was able to skate the puck up and not do the drop passes. Do you think he'll be playing there fully <laughs> next season? Do you think there's a chance Sandin's the full-time power play one guy next year? I, I believe so. I believe so. Given the fact that that one game where they rested Morgan Riley and he took over, we saw yeah. the whole the power play looked completely different oh, when yeah. Sandy was on compared to Morgan Riley. And again, I you hate to try and pick on Morgan Riley all the time, but it it's, it was just a fact. And again, the drop passing, the the you know predictability of trying to go to Austin Matthews with that one timer. I know they try to put him in the bumper slot, but that's not going to help him out at all. They need to have movement better movement, cycling the puck around, start from the goal line, get get it up to the point, get everybody moving in and involved because they're just too stationary. And if they need to make a change from Manny Moholtra, so be it because this power play isn't going to work. I mean, we, we're seeing how lethal the, the power play is for the Lightning all year and even in the power play right now. So they, I think this is a, for the coaching staff, that's like priority number one to fix the power play right now. Well, if they make a change there, this is really the last change where they could like effectively, you know, blame a coach because if we're talking, if we're sitting here talking about this being a problem next, you know, next off season, then uh, I'm sure it's going to be quite a different discussion at that point because uh, I don't even think it's not going to be the same players playing on that power play. You're going to be talking about a new set of players playing there. And it's crazy because if Sandin does get to play that position, like. I, I mean, I don't know what people are predicting for his point totals, but is he going to be like a 40-point defenseman starting next season if he's really getting that type of opportunity? Um, I, I think maybe a more realistic would probably be 2030. Um, if he does get the 40, great. I mean, we saw how confident he is with the puck and with his shot too. I mean, his there's a reason why, I mean, not to bring the junior level into this, but there's a reason why he was the top defenseman at the World Juniors a few years back. And they got another one coming up in the pipeline in Topi Niemela. So oh, yeah. you have you have options at your disposal. I, I'm not sure if Topi Niemela is going to get the power play time like Sandine would, but to have Sandine there with his confidence, his mobility, and his vision, it just adds a breath of fresh air. Given the fact that you know Morgan Riley was always just so stagnant and way too patient with the puck. Well, he was the defenseman of the tournament, uh, Topi Niemela, and Sandine yeah. was the season before, like. Yamala is going to be a sneaky good guy, I think, for the Leafs. That's a guy they're going to get value from because, I mean, it's pretty shocking even at the time that he kind of fell that low. He probably should have went, I believe, like 20 spots higher. And uh, I think he's going to be an effective third-pairing guy. He's going to be one of the better third-pairing defensemen in the league, if I had to guess. And he could be a power play specialist as well because we saw with Team Finland, he can do that. He did it in the uh, Finnish league. I'm very excited to see uh, him as a Leaf eventually. And, you know, Peter, it's been great having you on here babbling buds you've really babbled a lot eh <laughs> definitely yeah no thank you for having me on i really do appreciate that i love the content that you've been putting out with this podcast man really great stuff happy to be a part of it hey, thank you and you're always invited back on because uh i love to babble and uh with that in mind i think we're ready to end the show here so thank you for listening to the babbling buds podcast make sure to follow peter on twitter his username is at p Barrichini. And remember, he's prepping for the 2021 NHL draft at the moment. And it's obviously not an easy draft to prepare for, but he's doing such a great job. You can find all of his stuff at thehockeywriters.com. Once again, thanks for listening or watching, and we have babbled enough for today. Until next time.